Christmas at our house, we make ginger snaps. They are the perfect holiday cookie, full of spicy goodness and perfect crunch. That is, if you make them correctly. It's a funny thing that I've been making them since I was 10, but sometimes they just don't turn out like they should, which is usually user error. However familiar I am with the recipe or the process, baking is chemistry and it's vital to remember the ingredients and the steps. Before we make them, it's good to be reminded every year what I had forgotten from the year before. Starting a series on a book of the Bible is a similar idea. We might remember something about what's being studied, but it's a good thing to hear again the background of what we're reading so we can get things clear in our mind before we begin. We want to get a sense of the outline, to hear what the ingredients are and what's important. I always love the start of a new series when a pastor reminds us of the main components we need to remember about what's being studied. This is what we're going to do now for a few minutes. Be reminded of the ingredients that make Hebrews a unique book in scripture so that as we study it, we can make sure we have the basics down. Let's begin with the author. It's not clear who penned this epistle because they don't identify themselves. Even the early church leaders didn't know. Through the generations, there have been several guesses, but for every person named, there's a reason why people think that they can't have been the writer. So let's remember those at the top of the list. The Apostle Paul, Luke, Barnabas, Priscilla and Aquila, Clement. Recently, another person at the top of the list, Apollos, has been kind of a leading contender for most scholars. Apollos was a prominent leader in the early church. Born in Alexandria, Egypt, he was eloquent, well-versed in Jewish scriptures as well as Greek thought, and a fervent follower of Christ. These are all characteristics of the author of Hebrews, yet the actual identity still remains unclear. What else can we glean from this mystery writer? Well, they're highly educated theologically. They seem to have been trained in rhetoric and how to argue and express themselves well in a public setting. They are a committed disciple of Jesus and they know their audience, the people that they're writing the letter to, very well. It's obvious they've spent time together, they have experiences, they're planning on spending more time together in a visit. The author is very concerned for their spiritual well-being and the has the relationship with these people to speak freely to them. So a picture emerges of a gifted theologian with the heart of a shepherd who is a skillful communicator. Dr. George Guthrie, who is considered to be one of the premier authorities on the book of Hebrews in the United States, says this, Whoever wrote Hebrews, we owe them respect for their rhetorical craftsmanship, their admiration for the depth of their theological reflection, and we owe them gratitude for this enduring word of exhortation. What a treasure, I think, that we are able to learn under such an exceptional, albeit unknown, author this year. 
Let's talk briefly about the time frame and the audience of the letter. Most likely it was penned somewhere between 64 and 69 AD. Because it's quite Jewish in character, scholars believe that the author would have made note of the reference of the uh, destruction of the temple, which happened in AD 70 in Jerusalem, um, but they don't. Um, also, um, the writing suggests that the sacrificial system is still operating. So it appears to have been written also prior to the extreme persecution under Nero. The church would have been in existence for about three decades then, um, enough time for the believers to have known increasingly difficult uh, circumstances for following the Lord. Hebrews records how the believers are experiencing tangible consequences because of their faith, public ridicule, imprisonment, and loss of property. Because it has the most references to Jewish scriptures of any New Testament book, it was likely sent to Judaic Christians who were possibly thinking of returning to their original roots, leaving the church. And it's speculated that these believers were in a smaller house church located in Rome and that they were discouraged. Perhaps they're getting pressure from their Jewish family and friends to return. Maybe they miss the comfort of the rituals which with, um, with which they were raised. Theologian and professor William Lane says that one thing that seems to be certain is that the book of Hebrews addresses a group of Christians who were struggling with the cost of commitment to Christ. He says if you read Hebrews carefully, you will see that in actuality their world is falling apart. They're trying to measure the cost of following Jesus in terms of the loss of what belonged to them, property, freedom, and maybe even their lives. While some of these next generation believers had accepted their adversity, others were stepping back. But we can resonate with that, can't we? Because no matter the reason behind losing hope, all of us have felt that way at some point, maybe multiple times in our lives. Many people feel this way today because of the circumstances that all of us are living through. Hebrews is meant to offer endurance to the believers, which we all need right now. Hebrews is not written like a typical letter, so it's actually seen best as a sermon. This is going to be helpful for us to remember as we go through it because a sermon engages a listener and hopefully persuades them to make changes in their life because of the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are. Hebrews is a good example of a homily that contains both warnings and exhortations as we shall see along the way. We will read about how Christians should endure and hold fast to the faith instead of wavering we're going to squirm about words about how we should be further along in maturity instead of still needing to be bottle fed. We'll be inspired by the people who are in the hall of faith and those who have gone before us. 
will be reminded that it's not our outward circumstances or present context that keeps us strong in Christ. In fact, those things can turn us away from him. Rather, it is being obedient to Jesus inside of us, which propels us forward. Pastor Wayne Galloway has likened Hebrews to a puzzle. I like this analogy because maybe like us, you too like puzzles. Sometimes you focus on an individual piece of the picture, trying to figure out where it goes. Or maybe you stare at the puzzle for a long time itself, trying to see what piece is needed, knowing that you have to find that exact one maybe before you can go on and finish a major portion of it. Studying Hebrews, though, is more like looking at the full completed puzzle because it gives us a broad, big view, a sweeping view of God's plan, of God's kingdom. It helps us to see what's happening now because of the fullness of the context of the past that points us to the future of our magnificent God and where it is where he is guiding all of us. So then some of the main themes then in Hebrews we're going to be exploring as we see the bigger picture of God's plan is the redemptive history of God, the superiority of Christ, faith, God's revealed word, endurance through suffering, inheritance, being a witness. Now many of these themes are ones we see in our scripture today, which I will now read, which is Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory in the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I want to start our first section talking about mathematics. And no, my math professor husband did not make me do this. You will see that our theme for the book of Hebrews is greater. When you hear that word, what do you think? I think that lots of famous people from all walks of life might talk about their own greatness or the greatness about what they've accomplished. We might think about the vastness of the universe and consider how great it is compared to how small we are. But I was thinking in terms of mathematics. These arrow-like symbols that you see help show the relationship between numbers or equations when they are not equal. The signs help us know what number is greater or lesser than another number. It's said that Thomas Harriot, who was born in 1560 England, introduced the symbols to mathematics, building on what previous mathematicians had already done and were using. It is thought that Harriet got the idea of these symbols when doing extensive work on the alphabet based on the Algonquin language. He was introduced to symbols he had not seen before from uh, these indigenous people he interacted with in North America and integrated them into his notations. 
In mathematics, students are often trying to figure out how to make two quantities equal, which is where we get the study of equations. But when two sets of values are specifically not equal, then we have what is called in mathematics an inequality, where we see one of these symbols used. While much of Christ's message is how we are all equal in his eyes, we should never infer from this truth that we ourselves are equal to the Messiah himself. Jesus is greater than any person, tradition, or being against whom we might compare him, which is where the theme of greater brings us today. A French commentator has called this opening in Hebrews the most perfect Greek sentence in the New Testament because it utilizes beautiful rhetoric and rich vocabulary. I want to break it down a little bit for us in English. The writer grabs our attention right away, not with a greeting or a formal address, but with images steeped in truth. Right away, he's giving us the inequality of who is greater. Long ago, he says, God spoke in various ways to many different people. Yet in these days, notice he calls them last days, God has spoken to us through a son. It's astounding that the Lord of heaven and earth communicates to us and that he has chosen to speak to us through his own son. That is more astonishing. In the ancient days, the writer says, God spoke through the prophets. We know this from the Hebrew scriptures, yet we need to think more broadly about what this means. Before Jesus came, God's truth was known in lots of different ways through people's experiences and through miracles and teaching and nature and dreams and stories and in the struggles to understand God personally and corporately. We may take it for granted, but the high and exalted one revealing his nature and his plans and his ideas to people, praise God for the gift of knowing him. Look and see how the writer gives us a stunning vision of Jesus. Here, I would tell us that we are on holy ground. So let us stop and focus on the richness of what the author is saying here, because there's a vibrancy and a grandness to this passage that we don't want to miss. As I go over each idea, about the Son who is greater than anything that came before. Allow your mind, allow your mind to see the images which are being conjured for you. Jesus is the Son, the heir to everything that belongs to the Father. The Son is the exact representation of God. He is the same form and substance which is why Jesus tells people that when they have seen him, they have seen the one, the God, the Father, who sent him. Jesus reflects God's glory, which makes us think about the transfiguration when the disciples saw him in an exalted state. Jesus is the creator of the worlds. With a word, he spoke everything into being. Imagine 
his creativity and delight as he builds the earth from scratch, paints the sky, fashions the animals. Jesus then sustains that world. He keeps everything in existence, being intimately involved in supporting life and upholding all things with his word. The laws of nature belong to our orderly God. Next, we see Jesus on the cross paying for our sins. We see the suffering and the anguish as Jesus did what was necessary to bring forgiveness and healing and reconciliation. In glory, he reigns at the right hand of God. He is greater than the heavenly beings, although let's remember just from the Christmas story, how bright and awe-inspiring the angels can be. Don't be afraid isn't just because there's a strange being next to Mary and Joseph all of a sudden. It's also because they are radiant manifestations who come from a different realm. Yet Jesus shines brighter as we sing in the hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. Hebrews is a book about how Jesus is greater than the angels, than the Mosaic law. He brings greater life to people through his salvation. His is a greater sacrifice than the animals from long ago. He provides a greater inheritance in heaven for those who have faith in him. He exceeds all people, deities, authorities, creatures, ideals, relationships. In these very few verses, the greatness of Jesus becomes clear. The author is setting the groundwork for the church to understand. However discouraged they are, there is nothing in this world more powerful, beautiful, important, worthy, or great than God's Son given to us. The church in the time of Hebrews was facing significant opposition. They were living in chaotic times. They needed to be reminded of the superiority of Christ. How much do we need to hear that message today? Jesus is greater than our struggles. He is superior to anything we rely on to cope or to bring meaning. He far exceeds any authority or government he transcends our best understanding and wisdom. He comes into our warring madness. He meets us in our lack of hope. He weeps with us in our suffering. Also, he can bring God's best to us. One question is whether or not we believe this. Another question is whether or not we live this way. Do we, as followers of Christ, really live as though Jesus is not just enough, but greater than anything we know, anyone we know, to be good and true in our lives? God has given us the most magnificent and powerful Savior in His Son. 
What is the writer trying to get us to see here? This is the Sunday where we commemorate the baptism of the Lord. In the Western Church, the coming of the Magi is celebrated on January 6th, which is Epiphany. In the Eastern Church, it is the baptism of Jesus that is celebrated that day instead. It is fitting then that we end with words from God the Father recorded at the event of the baptism. When John the Baptist brings Jesus up out of the Jordan River, a most extraordinary thing happens. A dove flies above and a voice booms out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's what the author is trying to convince us to do. That is his goal in the book of Hebrews, to listen to Jesus, whom God has sent, to be encouraged by that listening in our relationship with him. He is the best word that God has ever spoken. We can have people communicate with us all the time and not listen. People can send us messages and we can simply ignore them. We can scan things quickly, missing the point. We can even think we know what is being said since we know the speaker well, but entirely miss the point. Let's do none of those things in this study of this important book this year. God has numerous things to say to his church. Let us pay attention so we can truly hear the message revealed preeminently through Jesus, the Son. In all that we must endure in life, it is our dependence on Jesus, our obedience to him, which will help us to persevere and live courageously for God. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.